0: This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, as we conclude this sermon series, uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 19. It's the account of Elijah, the great prophet who had given up hope, and he's ready to, to call it quits. And uh, so we'll look at that. So let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would be with us. Especially all those who are giving up hope, all those who are in despair, all those who are in the middle of a depression. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would use your word and don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of the work of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. It was about a decade ago when I went through a season of of despair I don't know if it was clinical depression or whatever it was, but, but my wife knew something was going on because she said, you stop reading. Usually there's a, a pile of books on every kind of table in our house, and she said, there's no more books. I found myself, uh, you know, just eating all the time, not exercising, not wanting to get out of bed, just watching TV. I just had this sense of hopelessness. And I really didn't know where I was coming from, and I didn't really know how to get out of it. And I kept on hearing about this book, that was called A Man's Search for Meaning by Dr. Viktor Frankl. And I heard it was one of the most influential books in the last 100 years, and I was pretty reluctant, but finally I sat down and read it, and I couldn't stop. It's a memoir about this Viktor Frankl, and he was a survivor of the Holocaust. And what he learned from his experience. And what he learned is that humans are purpose-driven creatures. Which was a new idea because the father of psychology, Sigmund Freud, said that that we're pleasure-driven creatures. That we're just kind of evolved animals. And like animals are driven by pleasure or pain, humans are just pleasure-driven creatures. But Viktor Frankl said, that's not what I experienced. When we were in that concentration camp and, and everybody was stripped of their pleasure, and they were filled with pain, the people that still found purpose in their life, the ones who still found purpose in their pain, those were the only people who had any hope for survival. When he left the concentration camp, he survived. He developed a type of therapy called logotherapy, and this logotherapy can be kind of reduced to this one phrase that he, that he would say, he who has a why can endure any how. Somebody who still has a sense of meaning and purpose can endure almost any Anyhow. What he meant by that is is we need to always remember that that we still have meaning, that there's meaning in our pain, that, that our suffering no longer is suffering when we know that there is purpose. And that's exactly what the Nazis were trying to take from their prisoners. They wanted to strip them of a sense of meaning and purpose. And so they took away their name and tattooed a number. They took away their clothes to give them any kind of sense of identity and gave them a jumpsuit. They took away their community and made them feel isolated. They took away any kind of meaningful work and made them fill ditches that they had just dug, give them empty work. Because they knew that if they could get them to believe their life had no purpose, they would die even before they got to the gas chambers. But those who held on to the hope, those who didn't believe the Nazis lied, those are the people who had any hope of surviving. Not only did this prove true inside of the concentration camps, but then after Viktor Frankl left, he took over a psych ward that had a really high suicide rate. And after he took over this psych ward, the suicide rate went down to zero. Reading this book helped me understand that behind that feeling of of hopelessness was this idea that I didn't see purpose in my ministry. I didn't see how things were meaningful. I didn't think I was making any meaningful contribution. I didn't see any point in what I was going through. And that's what I needed to address. That's what I needed to focus on. And I imagine many, many of you, and I know your stories are going through really tough times right now, and you're wondering, is there any hope? You're getting hopeless. You're feeling like giving up. So that's why we want to turn to God's word today. We're finishing up our servant series on emotions, dealing with feelings. And the question I want to answer today is, how can we regain hope when we feel depressed? How can we regain hope when we feel depressed? And to answer that question, we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 19, the story of Elijah. Now, I don't know how much you know about Elijah, but Elijah lived about 850 years before Jesus, 850 B.C., And he lived about a hundred or so years after the great divide between the northern and southern um, parts of Israel. What happened was Solomon, he married about a thousand women and brought all of their pagan religions into Israel and it divided the kingdom between the north and the south. Now, southern Judah remained faithful to a point. They had a few solid kings like Hezekiah and a few others that that got them to worship again at the temple, to regain their hope. But then you had, in the north, no God-fearing kings. You had people that were welcoming the prophets of Baal and kicking out anyone who believed in Yahweh, the Lord, especially King Ahab and his wife, Queen Jezebel. And Elijah was called by God to confront the paganism in the northern tribe of Israel and to confront those leaders like Ahab and Jezebel. And it kind of was all leading to this big battle. There was a battle between the 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah. And so this was all building up to this this battle, this this contest. And this says probably... Uh, I know, for many young people, one of the favorite stories in the Old Testament. I know my son he's one of his favorite stories in the Old Testament, where there's this is competition, where Elijah tells um, the prophets of Baal, "You set up your altar, and I will set up mine. And whatever God brings fire down from heaven to." Uh, Lick up the sacrifice, that is the true God. And so they agreed to it. So they built this altar and the 450 prophets of Baal started cutting themselves and started calling out to Baal, trying to bring pity on themselves, asking Baal to bring fire down. And I don't know if Elijah had a competitive spirit or what, but he started to kind of jide uh, the prophets of Baal, said, call louder. Maybe Baal is sleeping or maybe he's on a trip or maybe he's relieving himself. You know, Maybe speak a little louder. And of course, nothing happened because there's no such thing as Baal. Well, then Elijah, it was his turn and he doused this altar with water, so much water that it filled up a moat around the outside and he made a simple pr- prayer to the Lord, to Yahweh and the Lord God sent rain, uh, fire, ra- rain, rain down fire on the altar and it consumed the sacrifice. Now this was like the height of his ministry. If you can think like this is like winning the championship, this is beating your enemies. This is the 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 height of his ministry. And Elijah must be thinking, now I'll finally get validation. Now I'll finally um, get something to change here at. In Israel, finally, people will turn away from their wicked ways. Finally, King Ahab and Jezebel will listen to me and they'll drive out these prophets and we'll finally have success. And everything was building up to this moment. But unfortunately, this is what happened. First Kings chapter 19 begins with this. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, if I don't kill you, basically. So Elijah has this moment where he, he's having everything right on this competition. He's got the, the height of his ministry, the biggest victory he's ever had. He's waiting for everyone to turn to him. And the opposite happens. Jezebel doubles down and calls for his head and he feels totally defeated. He was putting all of his hope in this, in this battle against those prophets and it didn't turn out the way he expected and he felt totally defeated. He hit a wall. In fact, in his despair, he goes to Beersheba, the southernmost corner of the southern tribes of Judah, but as far as he could imagine, outside of his territory. And he took a day's walk into the wilderness. And this is what he said. He sat under a tree and said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He said, I can't do this anymore. I can't, my ministry isn't doing anything that matters. It's not changing anybody. I can't fight these battles anymore. I can't go on anymore. It doesn't matter. It's not making a difference. There's no meaning in it. There's nothing. So God, take my life. I'm done. I'm no better than any of the other prophets that came before me. Have you ever been there? where maybe you're putting your hope in in some event or or something that you were really working hard for, you were really working hard, and it didn't turn out the way that you want, and now you feel completely devastated. You just want to give up. Maybe it's something in your family. You were really hoping that this thing would finally turn your marriage around or or this event would finally give hope to it, and you're really building up, putting all your hope in this one event, and you seem like everything was going your way, and it didn't turn out the way you wanted. And now you feel totally hopeless and you want to give up. Maybe you're putting a lot of hope in in how you're raising your children. You did everything you could and you're just putting all your hope in. And then they've walked away from the faith. They walked away from you. You feel totally helpless, totally hopeless. Maybe put your, your hope in your, your career, something was working out, you're working so hard, you were you're hoping this was gonna work out and everything was going the right direction, all of a sudden, out of the blue, it doesn't work out. You feel totally devastated, you want to give up. Or maybe with your health, you're working so hard, and it didn't turn out. What do you do? What does God do? God meets with Elijah in the wilderness. And what do you think he's going to say to him? Is he going to say pray harder? Read more Bible verses. Try harder. Let's see what God does for Elijah when he's in the pit of despair, when he's in what Frankl would call an existential void, this feeling of no purpose that what everything he's tried is not working out. Everything he's worked for is not working out. Nothing is going the way he wants and he feels totally helpless, totally hopeless, no purpose. Let's see what happens. It says, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head, some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights till he reached Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he went into the cave and spent the night. What does God give Elijah? Tell him to pray more, work harder, try more? He gives him a meal. He gives him some food and some water And Elijah sleeps. He gets up again, gives him some food and some water, and he says, you need strength for this 40-day journey. He doesn't speak to him in that moment. He he attends to his body. And that's what we need to know, that, that sometimes we are so depressed. Sometimes we are so depleted. Sometimes we feel so hopeless. Before we can work on our heart, before we can work on our, bo- our, our soul, we need to work on our body. So I think that begins to help us answer that opening question. How can we regain hope when we feel depressed? First, attend to your body. Maybe right now you just feel so depressed and so hopeless. Right now, maybe all you need is a good night's sleep. You need some more strength. Maybe a good meal maybe a community around you. You just need something to help strengthen you. You're not ready to hear anything from God. You're not ready to even hear scripture. You're not ready to pray right now. You're just so tired. So just attend to your body. Take care of yourself. Now, after these 40 days, this 40-day journey to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb, he's getting away from everything and he's going to meet with God. And now God's going to speak to him. and, And God says this, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, how do you hear those words? I don't hear him saying in a stern voice, What are you doing here? What's your problem? Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Snap out of it, Elijah. I don't hear him saying it like that. I think what he's saying is, What brought you here, Elijah? What are you going through? How are you feeling? What's going on? And Elijah responds honestly. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I've done everything I can. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, God, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And God just lets him cry out. He lets him speak. And if you notice there, the words that I highlighted, I have been very zealous. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I was at a retreat a couple weeks ago, a pastor's retreat, and we had a a trained counselor there. He he leads his coaching network. and, And we was talking about suffering. And he says that when we suffer very often. All we can see is our own pain and all we can see is our own problems. And that's why in his honest moment, Elijah is saying, I've been very zealous and I'm the only one left. He couldn't see and he, he knew this, but he couldn't see it in his pain. The chapter before shows that, that Obadiah, the, the prophet, had hidden a hundred prophets of the Lord in two different caves. And so he was not the only prophet left. And Elijah knew that, but in his pain, in his despair, all he could feel was his pain. All he could see was his problems. And I felt that too. The people of, you know, When I was feeling that way, people could have said, well, look at all the other things. Look at what's going on. Look at what God is up to. Look at all the good things. I couldn't see it. I couldn't feel it. I couldn't sense it. Because when you're depressed, all you can feel is your pain. All you can see is your problems. So what does God do? Well, God says, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, the way this is worded, it's very similar to what happened 500 years earlier to Moses. God told Moses, Go up on this mountain and I'm going to pass by. And so this is supposed to be a parallel to the story of Moses. And we're supposed to kind of anticipate that God is going to pass by with his great glory and power and kind of wow Elijah with glory. But what happens? It says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord a pretty strong wind. I mean, this is is more than a hurricane wind. I don't know if you've ever seen or been in a hurricane or seen the aftermath of a hurricane. And sometimes a hurricane can bend trees or even break trees. But I've never heard of a hurricane breaking apart a mountain and shattering rocks. This is power. And maybe Elijah is thinking, yeah, this is what I want. We need some power here, God. Show yourself. Answer my prayers. Do something, God. Show some power. but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake. I was in an earthquake when I was in the Dominican Republic, and uh, it was a 6.5 earthquake, and what really scared me was the aftershock. We were eating breakfast afterwards, and my whole table started shaking and and uh, it was pretty, you know, where do you go when everything around you is shaking? The, the power of an earthquake is just unsettling. And, and Elijah, again, must be thinking, yeah, God, open up the ground. Shake the earth. Swallow up my enemies. Do something powerful. Vindicate my ministry. Show that my ministry has meaning and purpose. Show that, that what I'm doing is right. Show the people who you really are. Answer my prayers. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. Fire. I mean, this is the sign of God's power. God sent fire down when he battled against those prophets of Baal. And Elijah's got thinking, Yeah, God, send down your fire. Swallow up my enemies. Vindicate my ministry. Show people who you are. Bring down your fire. But God was not in the fire. So where's God. Where's God when you're crying out to him? Where is God when you can't see him, when, you can't, when he's not doing the things that you asked him to do? After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. After the fire came a gentle whisper. Now that's a little bit misleading because literally it says a voice of silence or a thin voice. Even you could say a silent voice. A low voice, a barely audible voice. And I think what God is trying to tell Elijah is that God is there at work even in the silence. God is working even in the silence. When you're praying to him and he's not answering the way you want or doesn't seem to be answering at all, when he doesn't seem to be showing up, when you feel like what you're doing is meaningless, it's not working, when it seems like there's no hope, God is still in that moment in the silence. As Christians, we ought to know this is true. Because God has done some of his greatest work in the silence. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he's crying out to his father. Father, if there is another way, take this cup of suffering from me. Silence. And then we watch Jesus and he, he goes on trial. And, and it's the religious people that are, are speaking against him. And then he's whipped and he's beaten and he's put up on a cross and he's crying out, Father, why have you rejected me? Why have you forsaken me? Silence. Then three days later, Jesus comes out of the grave and vindicates and shows us that God has been doing his greatest work in the silence. In the silence, he's been paying for our sin. He's been absorbing the world's evil. He's been been redeeming the world. He's been conquering over sin and death. Jesus does, God does his greatest work in the silence. But Elijah doesn't seem to get that. And so God asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? What brought you here? What's going on? And Elijah just repeats what he said before. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I've been doing everything I can. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death by the sword. You're not doing anything, God. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. What I'm doing doesn't matter. It's pointless. I'm done. And because Elijah's not getting the point, God finally has to speak to him straight. He has to call him out. He has to talk to him. He's got to get some sense into him. So verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mehaloah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. The Lord is saying to Elijah, get up. I have work for you to do. Get up. There's still stuff for you to do. I'm not done with you yet. What you're doing matters. Go anoint a new king who's going to bring this old king who's done so much wicked, he's going to bring him to justice. And that ministry you think that doesn't matter at all, go anoint and mentor another person, Elisha, to carry on the ministry that I know is actually working and doing things that you can't see. And guess what? You think you're the only one left? Not only are there a hundred prophets that are hidden away in those caves, but I have 7,000 people who still trust in me, who have not bowed their knee to Baal or kissed him. In other words, I still have worked for you to do and I'm still at work. There's still purpose in what you're doing. Your life is not meaningless. There's a story told of Martin Luther, the reformer from 500 years ago, who needed to hear this message also. He was trying to reform the whole church and he felt like nothing he was doing was actually sticking. He felt hopeless and in despair and he fell into a deep depression. And so his wife had to speak to him straight. (laughs) So she dresses up in funeral garb and walks into the room. And supposedly, as the story goes, Martin Luther says, who died? And Catherine says, God died, don't you know? He said, that's ridiculous. God never died. He said, then she said to him, well, then stopped acting like he did. My wife's had to, Talk to me straight. She never dressed up in funeral garb before, but she said the same things to me. Wake up, God still loves you, God's still in charge. He, there's still meaning in your ministry. There's still things that are happening, even though you can't see them. Wake up. Can I speak straight to you? Can you can you receive this, this same message that God had to speak to Elijah? if you're going through a time of despair and hopelessness, listen, God is still at work in the silence. In fact, God does some of his best work in the silence. When you pray and you don't know what he's doing, he has not seen me answering, God is still at work in the silence. Your life still has meaning and purpose. There's still things left for you to do. And he's still at work in you. I love what the Apostle Paul says in, in Philippians. and in Philippians chapter 1, he's in prison. And you would think a guy in prison who loves to be a missionary and travel and do all these things, you would think he would feel like his life is over. And yet in prison, he says, you know what? God might take me right now. And if he takes me, if I'm executed in prison, I'll be with Jesus, which is better by far. But if I go on living even in prison... There will be fruitful labor for me. There's going to still be things for me to do. My life still has meaning and purpose. So I I think this helps us answer that question. How can we regain hope when we feel depressed? First, attend to your body. Take care of yourself. Get a good meal. Get some rest. Get some exercise. Get as strong as you possibly can. And then believe that God is at work in the silence and that he's going to do some of his best work through you. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's just tomorrow getting out of bed and smiling at that coworker. Maybe it's taking care of your spouse. I I don't know what that looks like for you to believe again that your life still has purpose, that what you're doing is meaningful. Maybe it's calling that friend that you know needs to hear from you. But whatever it is that gets you outside of your pain, outside of your problems, to be able to see that the people around you need you right now, that God still has work for you to do. That's why I love this book, A Man's Search for Meaning, because it helped me zero in on what Actually, the problem is when I feel hopeless is that I feel like things are meaningless. I feel like what I'm doing doesn't matter. And so I need to regain that hope, that faith, that God is working even through me, even in the silence, that he's not done with me yet. God does some of his best work in the silence. On Mount Sinai, on Mount Calvary, and right now, even through you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would meet us like you met with Elijah. That you would give us what we need. Maybe today all we need is a good meal. All we need is some rest. All we need is a little strength. We need to attend to our body. And so give us what we need for our bodies. And then Lord God, give us what we need for our souls. Any of the the sadness or the despair, even the depression that plagues our heart. Lord, speak to our hearts and show us once again that our lives still have meaning. Lord God, do this work that only you can do. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.